Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Bill tonight. And we're talking tonight about spiritual experiences. It really struck me in thinking about Scripture that there are a lot of spiritual experiences and different kinds of experiences and different kinds of people who have different kinds of experiences. Seeing angels, hearing angels, seeing the Lord, hearing the Lord, traveling up to heaven, seeing things that are there and so on. And so I just wanted to do a little meditation tonight on these spiritual experiences, looking at some of these and thinking about what they teach us and why they're there. If you'd like to join us on that journey, please do, good friends, and let's start with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We pray for your presence among us tonight, Lord. We're opening your word, seeking you in these pages, wishing to understand you and what it is you would have us to learn, how we should be living our lives. Thank you. Amen. Very nice to be with all of you, sending love to those of you out there online and getting the audio and on the phone and here in the room. Blessing to be with uh, everybody. And uh, spiritual experiences. It's interesting that uh, Scripture, to my way of thinking, doesn't ever say, hey, look, there, you know, I'm going to argue that there is such a thing as angels, and I'm going to argue that angels have some impact on human life and I'm going to argue that angels know special things about you and that there is a God and there's a spiritual world. So it's just kind of assumed, isn't it? Like it's just sort of the background. It starts in Genesis. It's right there and it just goes right through the book of Revelation. It's just full of angels and full of spiritual experiences and it's just kind of like the woodwork. They're like the furniture. Oh, there's another angel. Here's another and talking to all kinds of different people. And so I wanted to look at just some of these. There's way too many stories to look at, but just wanted to look at a few of these and see who are these angels appearing to? Is it like you have to be a certain kind of person to have an angel appear to you? Uh, is it like a, a special privilege? Uh, what, what are the angels doing? And so on. So uh, let's start all the way in the left, as I like to call it, of your Bible uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, because the first sort of hint of these kind of things comes in, the, um, uh, in terms of human interaction uh, with God in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So you're in the Garden of Eden and... Uh, and the Adam and Eve have been told not to eat the fruit of a certain tree, uh, and uh, they did, and they suddenly realized they were naked and they wanted to get dressed and all that. And then in verse 8, 3 verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Yes, so they, they hear this sound of the Lord God and, and, hey, you know, the Lord is just walking through the garden. It's, 
you know, it's, uh, it's not treated as, oh, you, it's important for you to know that there is this being and that, it, no, he's, he's just walking and they get into a conversation and, um, uh, and he talks and as we've done other Bible studies on this, which is good fun about uh, the, all this buck passing that goes on where Adam says, well, no, really, that's, uh, that's Eve's problem. And Eve says, well, no, that's really the serpent's problem. And <laughs> everything gets, gets passed down. And eventually uh, they get cursed and driven out of the uh, garden. And look at verse 24 at the very end of that Genesis 3. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, it doesn't say whether Adam and Eve saw these cherubim who would be like angel guardians, um, uh, but there they are. They're put, so that sort of being shows up already in the story. I was very interested that in terms of, there's a lot of stories in Scripture, I think I found about 60, where... Um, uh, where angels appear to people. Uh, well, it's more than 60 because just John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation, there are 63 mentions of angels. In that, Seems like a lot, you know, in, in 22 chapters or something. There are angels all over the place. It's happening all the time. And uh, so there are many encounters through here. I thought it was kind of cool. Look at Genesis 16 little, you know, spot quiz. Who's the first person that an angel ever actually speaks to in Scripture? So the Lord God, you know, had a conversation with Adam and Eve, but who's the first person who's spoken to by an angel? The answer surprised me. In 16, verse um, 7, the backstory is that Abram and Sarah were married and they had no children. And so Sarah... Um, her maid was Hagar. And so Abram had a child by Hagar. And uh, so this is what happens in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Yeah, the first person that an angel ever appears to in Scripture is this handmaid. You know, not the wife, not the husband or whatever. It's a handmaid. I just think that's interesting. You know, what, what does that mean? That, that's who the angel appears to. And uh, go on. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they will not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. So we can pause there, but the, uh, I'm very interested in the fact that the angel, although the angel is asking questions at first, and a number of angels seem to do this, lead with the question and ask, you know, what are you doing, what's going on? Nevertheless, the angel has very good information, like such as, hey, guess what? You're pregnant, you know, which she didn't know. And um, uh, so it, it's not like the angel was out of it. And the angel was also aware there uh, that she'd been going through some affliction, right? 
the Lord has heard your affliction and you're going to have a, a son. And look at this in verse 13. What does Hagar say? She actually refers to the angel as the Lord. And what does she say? Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, mm. have I also seen him who sees me? Yes. Isn't that amazing? So there was a definite seeing of the two that went on here. It doesn't say that at the beginning. It just says the angel of the Lord found her and they have this conversation. But there's definitely that they were seeing each other because she says, you know, you're a God who sees and you see me and I, I see you. Um, uh, so I was very interested that Hagar got that privilege. Now, Abram, not to be outdone, in 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and there said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Yes, and he talks about a covenant, and Abram falls on his face, and God talks with him, and all that. So uh, the Lord appears to Abram. Now, Abram had to get in line. He was second to Hagar, but, but the, the Lord did appear to Abram and talk to him about the covenant that he would establish and so on. So we're only 17 chapters into the Bible, and there's been numerous sort of Lord and angel appearances already. Uh, and, oh, we'll skip some here. Let's go to 19 verse 1, which is an interesting one. Uh, there was this uh, place that is characterized in the scriptures as being a place of, of evil and abuse and so on in Sodom. And uh, two angels came there in 19 verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Yes, and he invited them in and all that. But the people of Sodom came because they wanted to have sexual relationships with these two angels. And uh, so even though these people are characterized as you know, very wicked in Scripture, they have no problem seeing the angels. You see what I mean? It's not just like good people or whatever. Huh. It's people who Scripture characterizes as bad. You know, they're abusive. They end up, don't they? The, the, the woman dies and the end of the story is a horrible story. Uh, you know, they're, they're pretty awful people, but uh, they have no problem seeing these angels, seeing what they look like and everything. So that's interesting. What, what does that mean? Look at 21, uh, verse 17. Uh, now Hagar again is worried and she feels that she's going to die out in the wilderness and her child is going to die and she's very upset and she's crying. And look in verse 17 of chapter 21. And God heard the, vo the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Now this is an interesting little detail. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Yes, and so they, they survive. So God appears to her and again starts with a question, doesn't linger on the question, doesn't ask her the answer to the question. She just says, what's, what's wrong? You know, what's ailing you? But then immediately says, fear not, 
for God has heard the voice of the lad. Lift him up. I'm going to make him a great nation. And then God doesn't say anything about it, but just opens her eyes. I think this is so interesting. There are other stories like this in Scripture. And it sounds like she just sees physical water, you know, not some spiritual water or something. But she sees, oh, there's a well right there. You know, they're dying. <laughs> and God, I was, oh, there's help right there. I didn't, I thought it was dying. There's help right there. Oh, interesting. And uh, so she sees the well of water and she goes and fills it up and, and gives the lad to drink. And, 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 and he does grow up and become a whole nation. And it figures into the later stories after that. Uh, so there's, again, kind of angelic and divine intervention. Uh, then there's Abraham and there's Isaac and Jacob are these three patriarchs. And look at Genesis chapter 28 uh, because angels appear to Jacob and he sees the Lord, but he's in a different state. Uh, let's start at 28 verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and beheld a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, this is just, just presented as a dream, but there's a ladder that goes from earth to heaven, and there's angels going up and down on the dream. It's interesting to me that in the dream, there's no real distinction between earth and... I mean, earth is here and heaven's there, but you can just get there with a ladder. It's not... It's not a completely, discreetly separate existence or something. You, you can just go up and down. So angels of God go up and down on the ladder. And look in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Yes, and then makes a promise about uh, how great that whole people will be. And in verse 15, he just says, I am with you. I'm going to keep you wherever you go. I won't leave you. We just talked about that last week about not leaving. It amazes me how often in Bible study, just as a tangent, uh, where we study something one week, and then I study what I think is something completely different, and it takes me the same passages again. It's, it just it happens all the time. It's just an amazing feature of, of Scripture. Um, so, and then what did Jacob say when he woke up in 16 and 17, these famous words? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And he had gone to sleep, apparently feeling kind of lonely. He was out there in the desert by himself. He just takes some stone to be his pillow. It's not like, you know, I mean, you got to feel pretty far off base. And then uh, people have loved so much this story because all of a sudden he feels like, whoa, no, this is an amazing place. You know, you can get to God from right here, from this rock. You can get right there. I saw it, you know, and there was God telling me all about my life and everything. So uh, that's a cool little interaction. But I'm fascinated that that one happens in a dream. Hagar was awake. Abram was awake. Jacob's sleeping. When this happens, it's a kind of a different experience. And yet he said, well, he dreams a dream, but uh, not every dream you have every night 
tells you your whole life story and where you're going and you get to see God or what, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's not every night. <laughs> it's an unusual kind of very memorable dream that he has. Um, so that's, that's cool. And uh, let's see, 31 verse 11, I have marked, this is Jacob again. And he's made a new arrangement with his father-in-law. We're whipping through all these different stories, but he's made a new arrangement uh, that uh, Jacob will just take all the bad sheep, the black sheep, the speckled ones, the spotted, the no good, the rejects, the factory rejects. And, uh, and then uh, he says in verse 11, Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leapt on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Yeah, that was his father-in-law. So he felt that he wasn't treated very well by him. And so this deal was supposed to be, well, I'll just take the bad ones. And so the Lord says in a dream, look at them all. Look at all the bad ones. Like you're going to get super rich off this deal because <laughs> uh, I'm making them all bad for you. You know, like the, there's going to be a lot of bad sheep right now. And, um, and this was again in a dream, was it not, dear reader? It was in a dream, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Verse 11 says, Angel of God spoke to me in a dream. So again, the Lord, it's, it seems to be a thing with Jacob that the Lord comes to Jacob in a dream but these other people when they're awake. So that's interesting. Uh, in 32 uh, verse 1, it seems like he's awake this time. Look at those first two verses there. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahananim. Mahanaim, something like that. I That's right. So he sees these angels of God there, and uh, now this time he's awake. That's interesting. So he's having different kind of experiences. And uh, turn to the right and go to Exodus chapter 3. Rather well-known story. Moses 2, it's interesting to think about that Moses too, we're whipping through all these different stories, but Moses had fled because uh, he had killed an Egyptian and this was found out. He thought it was totally secret and he got away with it, but, uh, but it was found out. And so he was driven off in the wilderness and like Jacob, I think he felt like he was on the back half of nowhere. You know, he's just out in the middle of nowhere. His life is over. It used to be so good in Egypt and now he's out here. And... and um, so look at verse 3 there, I mean, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, the desert is the desert. This is the back of the desert. <laughs> this is even more, you know, remote. And what happens there? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and beheld, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Yes, and Moses was kind of fascinated. He wanted to see what it was. And then the Lord speaks to him and tells him all about how he's going to set the people free. And he's the Lord. And all this stuff happens on the backside of the desert in the middle of nowhere. 
an angel and this burning bush. He's having a spiritual experience. And again, God is kind of intervening in the story. Okay, the next one. So go through Exodus and Leviticus. Let's get to Numbers chapter 22. Now Balaam had been called in by an adversary of the children of Israel and told to curse them. He had been told to curse them. He was somebody who had this ability to curse. He was, uh, you know, a, a wizard or whatever you call him or something. And so, um, uh, but God was upset with Balaam for what he was doing, trying to curse the people. So look at 22, verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused, excuse me, God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. Now hold on a second. Dear reader, did you say the donkey saw the angel of the Lord? The donkey saw the angel of the, the Lord donkey, standing in the so, way. So how special do you have to be to see an angel? If the donkey is seeing... The angel. Thank you for that. The <laughs> yes, it's unrepeatable, but it was very funny. Um, <laughs> so go on. Beginning of 23. You could read that now again. Now the donkey That's saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood on a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. Mm. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Yeah, so he's striking the donkey. He's totally oblivious to the presence of this angel. What an image. The donkey can see the angel. Balaam can't. And Balaam's getting frustrated and actually taking it out on the donkey. Go on. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. That's right. And then what happened? Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And you and, notice this is a female donkey, isn't it? Go on. And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? The donkey's making a very cogent argument. Go on. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the mm. Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Mm. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have been killed, would have killed you by now and let her live. Yes, right. So the threat was on the, the donkey was going to live. Balaam was going to be killed by the angel. And so Balaam says, I've sinned. I didn't know you were there. I'm sorry and all that. Fascinating story and uh, very surreal. I mean, just as a starter, 
the fact that the angel can physically be in the way and physically block the donkey's movement so the donkey's going left and right and then crushes Balaam's foot. So it's already, it's all very concretely described and yet it's an angel, you know. So what is this angel doing physically there and, and threatening Balaam and totally aware of everything that's going on and how Balaam's treating the donkey? And then just for <laughs> additional fun, the donkey starts speaking and, and it makes very compelling arguments about the mistreatment. You know, ha haven't I been your, you know, haven't you ridden me every, have I ever done you wrong? You know, what have I ever done to you uh, that you would treat me this way? Uh, you know, can't you see there's some good reason uh, why I'm doing this? And then finally, the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam. Now, isn't it interesting that the donkey's eyes are open first and then, and then Balaam's? It's, it's just such an interesting, intriguing story. <clears throat> By the way, Swedenborg uh, refers to this story early on after he started having spiritual experiences, and he says, no one can boast about having a spiritual experience uh, or seeing an angel because uh, wicked people see angels and so does the donkey. Uh, you know, uh, so it's not, that, oh, wow, I'm having this big spiritual experience. You know, uh, but why would that be? You know, why... Why would Scripture present it that way? Um, you know, it, it's very curious, isn't it? So we'll keep pondering that. Uh, I think in the interest of time, we will just list the following, that uh, an angel appears to Gideon. Uh, in Judges chapter 6, he appears to Manoah's wife many times, and Manoah gets very agitated about this and wants to see the angel, and the angel keeps appearing to his wife when he's not there, and then finally appears to the both of them and, and talks to them both and everything, and they have a meal with the angel. Um, angel appears to David, an angel appears to Elijah, to David, to this, again, to a person named Ornan, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, the whole book of Zechariah and the Minor Prophets is just one vision after another, all about, all about angels and so on. Let's turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1. And there's this person you may have heard of named Joseph, who's betrothed, meaning engaged, to this woman named Mary. And, uh, and she becomes pregnant. And he's really concerned about this, doesn't know what to do. And in verse 20, what happens? But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Yes, and then gives more explanation and so on. And then in verse 24, Je Joseph gets up from his sleep and did as the angel told him to do. So he didn't view this any more than Jacob did as a mere dream. Like, oh, I had the weirdest dream. And no, he takes it very seriously. And isn't it interesting that the dream speaks directly to his concerns? He's married to someone who's pregnant. He didn't get her pregnant. So what's going on? And, uh, and the angel speaks directly to that issue, reassures him, and tells him much more about, here's, here's what's going to happen and everything. And, uh, but in a dream, like Jacob, right? In a dream. Look at 2 verse 13. 
uh, oh, for 2 verse 12, so the wise men appear to them, but Herod's out to get them. And what happens in 2 verse 12 to the wise men? Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So the wise men get to see, uh, they're warned divinely in a dream. And then verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. That's right. They go down to Egypt in verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Yeah, so these angels keep appearing around the Christmas story, always in a dream, right? Always in a dream here to Joseph. Uh, look at the end of Matthew. Now we're down to the crucifixion and, and the resurrection and all that. 28... Uh, let's start at the first verse there in Matthew 28. So this is after Jesus died on the cross and was put in the tomb. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Yeah, these angels are very physical, right? They move this massive stone away from the tomb and, and get the donkey to go this way. And, you know, they're, they're just very active in this world. And uh, tell me a little more in verse 3. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now these guards... If I don't mistake the story, I believe in another gospel, we find out that these guards are posted there by the Romans, aren't they? Um, uh, do they see the angel? Yeah, they're, they're shaking. They, they become like dead people. They, so people in Sodom, the donkey, these Roman guards, like, it's not like, oh, no, there's just certain specials, just like the prophets, or you have to be really special to see it. no. Angel appears to whoever, uh, it seems like. And um, that's right. Uh, let's go to Luke. So go through Mark to the right, and we'll get to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. There's this priest named Zacharias. It's really the same name as Zechariah that we just mentioned in the Old Testament. And... Uh, he goes in to offer the incense in the temple in Jerusalem and this whole multitude is outside praying and what happens to him when he's in there burning incense in verse 11? Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Yeah, so he sees this angel, the angel appears to him, the angel talks to him, Zacharias doubts it, the, uh, he is struck dumb at that point and, uh, and the angel says in verse 20, you will be struck dumb and you won't be able to speak until all this comes to pass because you didn't believe me. And uh, when he came out, everybody was amazed in verse 21 that he'd spent so long in there and he couldn't speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision. I don't know how, he couldn't speak. But people look different, I guess, after you've had a vision. He sort of looked like he has the fear of God in his eyes or something. You know, you can tell, oh, he's different than when he went in. This angel has appeared to him and told him things that are going to happen. 
But look in verse uh, 26 there. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was David, of the house of David, whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. That's right. And the angel comes in and, and famously says, you know, hail, hi, highly favored. And, uh, you know, and now she's wide awake when this happens. So was Zacharias. Joseph was asleep, uh, having a dream, but they're awake and the angel just shows up. You know, he's, he's doing the, his thing as a priest, offering the incense and, whoa, there's an angel right there. And, um, and this angel comes right into her house and they have a whole conversation. Very curious to me that she is troubled at what he says and seems sort of doubtful about what the angel is saying. And yet she is not struck dumb. Uh, there must have been something about Zacharias's doubt that was different than Mary's doubt. Um, um, but she's told that this child will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And she asked, you know, how is this going to work and everything. And then the angel also reveals another pregnancy, says uh, uh, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant right now. Uh, so these angels know a lot about what's going on. Uh, and in two, chapter 2, verse 9, the shepherds are out in the field and an angel of the Lord comes upon them and the angel gives them this good tidings about Christmas and suddenly in verse 13, there's a whole multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So the shepherds' Christmas is fully spiritual experiences of angels appearing and bringing this good news. And uh, look at chapter 22. Because this is interesting to me. Okay, 22, verse 43. Uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go through the crucifixion. And in verse 43, what happens to him in Luke 22? Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So Jesus, an angel, visits Jesus. He's another person in this line. Now, I want you to flip, if you would, to the right to John chapter 20. I know we're just flying through here. Uh, but John chapter 20. This is after Jesus was resurrected in the account in John. And look at verse 11 there. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. It's hard to tell from the story whether she realizes these are angels, but they're dressed in white, and white was kind of hard to do back then, so that might have been a giveaway. But, but uh, they say, Why are you weeping? Again, angels start with a question, right? What ails you? Why are you weeping? Are you Even weeping? though they seem to know everything. And, uh, and she says, you know, because they've taken away my Lord. And then, verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, you have carried him away. Tell me where. You have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, 
Rabboni, which is to say teacher. That's right. And then they have a conversation together and uh, she goes and tells the other disciples about this. What is significant about that to me, many things are significant about it, but one thing that's significant is that now, a moment ago at the end of Luke, an angel was appearing to Jesus. Now Jesus is the angel appearing to Mary Magdalene, right? He's changed places in this whole equation. Now he's so two angels appear to her, and then a third one called Jesus, or whatever. You know, I mean, he's more than an angel, but, but he's on the angel side of the equation now, appearing to other people. And I think that's kind of a key to some of these angel experiences and these spiritual experiences. The very important moment in Christianity, obviously. And, um, okay, now let's just look at Acts. So turn to the right, Acts chapter 8. Verse 26, here's this person named Philip. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Yes, that's right. And so he goes down there and he meets someone and he explains the book of Isaiah to him. The person is trying to read it and he, he, he explains the whole thing to him and, and converts him, baptizes him and everything. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So this is after the resurrection. Angels are still appearing to people. And in chapter 10, verse, uh, let's just start at the first verse there. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And what happened to him? About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Now, it's interesting that it specifies that he was in a vision, and yet what he sees in the vision is an angel walking right into his house. And it's three in the afternoon. It's the ninth hour of the day, right? Uh, and he looks at him, and he's afraid, and so on, and they tell him what to do. And they send him to Simon the Tanner, and he'll tell you what you ought to do. And uh, then after that, angel departs in verse 7. Then he calls two of his servants, and they do what he had said. Uh, that is followed by a spectacular series of visions that Peter has about whether to eat. He's up on the housetop at, at noon, and he's hungry, and he falls into a trance, it says in verse 10. And he sees heaven opened, and he sees all these animals, and he's told that he can eat anyone that he wants, and he's not sure what the vision means, and so on. Spiritual experiences are just happening left and right here in the book of Acts. And then um, in 12, chapter 12, verse 7, Peter was thrown into prison, and he was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. This is considered a fairly secure way to keep a prisoner, to have them bound to two other human beings with chains. And uh, in verse 7, what happens? Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell from his hands. That's right. And then the angel tells him, Get dressed. Here we go. And... Uh, and, uh, and look at verse 9. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. 
he thought he was still having a he didn't even realize that no the physical shackles are actually physically gone and you're out of the physical prison you're gone even though you had two people on either side and then in verse 11 what does he say and when peter had come to himself he said now i know for certain that the lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of herod and from all the expectation of the jewish people that's right and then look at acts chapter 27 27, this is Paul, and in verse 23 there, what happens? For there stood by me this night an angel of, the, of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. They were worried about this sailing situation that they were in, and the angel of God appears to Paul and reassures him. So an angel of God appears to Philip, to Cornelius, Peter's having visions. Peter sees an angel, is freed from prison. Paul's seeing an angel. You know, it hasn't stopped uh, after the Lord was resurrected. It's still going strong. And as I say in the book of Revelation, there are 63 mentions. John is having visions. He's in a vision. He's in the spirit. Uh, he's lifted up to a great and high mountain and so on. He's having all these spiritual experiences. Uh, there are just two more scriptures that I want to read uh, before we talk about this a little bit. Um, okay, let's see. About a quarter of the way into your Bible should be maybe 22% is a 1 Samuel. I'd like to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3 because there's an interesting statement here. So we saw that we saw a lot of angel stories in Genesis in Exodus, in Numbers, there were a lot in Judges and, and so on. But in 1 Samuel here, there's this interesting mention in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This yeah. is about the child named Samuel. He's just a little, little guy. He had this cute little outfit and everything. What do we read about him? Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Yes, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. So it does seem as though it can kind of ebb and flow in terms of how people are doing. Is there a lot of revelation, a lot of spiritual experiences right now, or not so much? It seems not about an individual, whether given an individual is good or bad, but just like the whole culture, how's it going or something. There's not much revelation of God in those days. And then this is that great story where the Lord calls Samuel and he keeps thinking Eli's calling to him and the Lord calls again and Eli finally figures out what's going on and, and the Lord speaks to Samuel and that's when, uh, you know, Samuel becomes this great prophet. That's when uh, connection with God is kind of restored and, and Samuel becomes this great prophet and moves things forward. And uh, look also, if you will, okay, we're going to dip into the Minor Prophets. This is always scary. Let's go to the middle of your Bible, which would be roughly the Psalms or Isaiah there. And let's turn to the right through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then we go um, Hosea, Joel. I want to go to Joel, which is the second of what are called the Minor Prophets. Only reason they're called Minor is just because they're small, not because they're inferior or something. And Joel chapter 2 makes this prediction 
of what's going to happen at some distant time in the future. It says, afterward. Look at Joel 2, verse 28 and 29. And before we read this, I just want to think about the fact that in all these angel things, angels appear to men, they appear to women, they, or the Lord, you know, to children, good people, bad people, Romans, Jews, free, slave, whatever, you know, all different kinds of people uh, angels are appearing to. And look at what Joel 2 says here. I love this passage, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maidservants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Yes. So this is a prediction of some future time at which the Lord's Spirit will pour out on all flesh. And it's kind of a nice little comprehensive, your sons and your daughters are going to be prophesying, your old men will be dreaming dreams, like Jacob and like Joseph, right? Uh, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the, you know, the men's servants, the, the, or the male servants, the female servants, uh, every, so servants, or the owners, what, every, everybody. Everybody's, the Lord is just going to pour out His Spirit on everybody. So I love that passage, and that's very interesting to think about. Okay, when is that going to happen? Has that happened? Is it going to happen at some point in the future? Uh, but it seems like that's some promise of even more spiritual experiences in the future. And the fact that Revelation, which is all about the future, is full of angels and the holy city New Jerusalem comes down from heaven uh, and comes down into this earth and everything. It seems like our thing's going to get even more spiritual at some point in the future, which is a very, very nice idea. So, to talk about this little, little tad, what is going on with these spiritual experiences? I'm very interested that from Genesis to Revelation, it's just assumed, you know, it's just like nobody needs to be taught in scripture that there's such a thing as an angel and here's what an angel does an angel is a human being but a spiritual human being or whatever and they, they come in they, they know what's going on in your life and I'm struck by uh, one attribute of all these things I think if we lift our minds up can we see that there was a purpose wasn't there to all these interactions Hagar's ailing and at another point her son is, you know, they're starving. Uh, the angel's doing a work. is coming in to do something. Hey, we've got to address this situation. And, um, uh, and these angels don't appear to people just sort of idly to sort of chew the fat and talk about how nice it is in heaven or something. They're always doing something like, hey, you know, guess what? Christmas is happening. You know, the Lord is going to be born and... Here's what's going, hey, you better go down to Egypt. There's danger here. These angels are, are, there's purpose in all these interactions. There's a message. The angels do seem to me like messengers, and that's what their name means in the original languages. And uh, uh, they've been briefed, haven't they? Like they know about pregnancies. They know the future. They know what's going to happen. They know what name Jesus is going to get. Uh, so they're, they're going in there and, and, um, 
and it's just assumed in Scripture that they exist. There's never a question about, well, maybe they don't or something. You know, uh, they're, they're everywhere in there. They are powerful. They do things. You know, even in that Balaam story, they, uh, there's a threat of death or something. You know, they're, they're just very powerful. Um, and I hasten to say these are just one type of spiritual experience because there are other ones where you know, Isaiah or Ezekiel are lifted up into heaven and they see all these things in the spiritual world. And uh, there's a lot of different kinds of stories or going distant places in their spirit and so on. The Bible's full of these spiritual experiences. It really was interesting to me. And there's not a sense that you have to be a certain kind of person to have a spiritual experience. So, So what is going on there? Well, my thought is that um, one possible function of all this is to give us a glimpse of the afterlife and of the spiritual world. Um, You know, in the world of the Bible, angels are so much closer than they sometimes feel to us here in this world or something, you know, depends on some people, the veil is thin, others are thicker. Uh, But in the Bible, they're just right there. You know, he has a dream and there's a ladder. It goes right up to heaven. There are the angels coming and going. It's just right there. God is right there. God says, I am with you. The angels are with us. And it, so it depicts something of the, not only that there is a spiritual world uh, and that these are intelligent uh, beings. Swedenborg says they're all ex-people up there. They're uh, doing better than they were in this world or whatever, you know, they're, they're sort of perfected. But um, in an ongoing perfection that goes on to eternity, he says, but um, uh, they're people, they care about the people down here and they want to be helpful and in whatever way just to, to move the action forward. Uh, another very important function, it seems to me, of all these angel stories and spiritual experiences in Scripture uh, just as, you know, doesn't it sort of based your mind in the fact that this can happen? It just, it's, just, it's a book of spiritual experience. It's just full of spiritual experiences of all different kinds. So doesn't it kind of just based your mind and try to base the whole culture with it? This is possible. This is within the realm of the possible. This happens. Angels care about us and they're here in our lives and, and trying to move things along in our lives. Uh, number two especially with that switch that we saw where the angel appears to Jesus and then like two days later, Jesus is appearing to someone else. You know, he's non-physical now. I mean, he does say he has, you know, flesh and bones, but he is, um, he walks through walls, uh, you know, he sort of magically appears and disappears and so on. But he's now in the role of an angel appearing to people. And this, I think, is further reinforcement of the idea that angels are people. There's Jesus. He was human. And boom, there, right after he dies, then he's that same kind of being. And much more so. But you know what I mean? Uh, there, there's a, he's spirit, a spiritual being, divine being, and appears to people. And so all these spiritual experiences, I think, set the stage for Jesus' resurrection. Like, what would you do with that idea if you don't have a spiritual world and you don't have people in it, and they can't appear to people who are still here, what's going to happen at the rest? Like, you would have no folder to stick that in when the Lord suddenly starts appearing. 
at the end of the Gospels and showing up to people and talking to them and saying the same sort of things like, here's who I am, this was the whole point of existence. He's doing the same, he's doing the same bit that the angels did at the end of Luke there and elsewhere at the end of Matthew, telling people, here's how it works. And a third function that I think these perform, and I'm particularly thinking of that statement that we just read in Joel, but the book of Revelation too has all those angels in it. I think there's a, perhaps a little bit subtler, but there's this sense in scripture that it is predicted that the human race will become increasingly spiritual. There, there will be more and more, and these are just a couple of isolated prophecies, prophecies but there's a lot more that goes with them. Um, that the human race uh, will be, you know, we're going through a bit of a bad stretch right now in some ways, uh, a little awkward growing <laughs> pains, but uh, the, it's forecast in the Bible that the human race is going to become very, very spiritual, where this whole business of angels being in our lives, the Lord says he'll pour out his spirit on everybody, male, female, young, old, free, slave, everybody, you know? And we saw that in the biblical stories, Roman, Jewish, whoever, you know, that's, the Lord's going to appear, good or evil, the Lord's going to appear to everybody, everybody. It says in Revelation, does it not, every eye shall see him. He's coming in the clouds and every eye shall see him. It's not just like, oh, some people who are in the inside special track are going to get, no. This is, going to be, this is going to be a blanket thing. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the human race is going to become, uh, thankfully, a lot more spiritual than it is now. I'm not saying there aren't lots of spiritual people out there now, but, but we could use being even better in that dimension, I would say. There's room for growth. And um, so I think the function of these spiritual experiences in Scripture, to summarize, would be to give us a glimpse of the afterlife and the idea that there are intelligent, purposeful humans who live there, uh, to set the stage for Jesus' resurrection, for us to understand a little bit of what happened to him, and to set the stage for some eventual period that I think we're bar barely scratching the surface on yet of a greatly increased spirituality in the, in the human race, that the human race will become more and more uh, spiritual in the future over time. Um, thank you for entertaining these humble thoughts, good friends. May angels be with you, and let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the striking things about you is how that when you were here in the flesh, you were also in the spirit and you knew what was going on with people. You knew what people were saying behind your back. You had that uh, omniscience. So when you were here in the flesh, you were also in the spirit. And when your physical body died, you were in the spirit and you were also here in the flesh. You're a bridge between the two worlds, and all those angels are just representatives of yours doing that work of uniting these two worlds together. And that vision at the end of the book of Revelation that the holy city, New Jerusalem, is going to come down from God out of heaven and come down into this earth 
is some hint about how you would like to bind these two worlds together. Please, Lord, instruct us, teach us, send angels to help us to understand how we can help you in that work. How can we help to make this a more spiritual world? Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Maybe we'll even become an angel.